Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, I'm Meredith Curtis. I'm so excited to be with you today. I'm the host of Finish Well Podcast, and today we are going to talk about something near and dear to my heart, small churches. I grew up in a small church, and my husband pastors a small church, and I just love them. And so I want to talk to you today about how small churches can be a blessing to homeschool families. And there are five different reasons that they're such a blessing. But first, I just want to give you some kind of facts and figures that you may not know. Number one is that the average church building in America holds about 200 people with only about 65% of, sorry, the average church building holds about 200 people with only about 65 people in attendance. So that's the average size building and the average size congregation is actually 65 people. Since 2000, the year 2000, the average congregation size has gone from 140 to 65 people. So less than half of the people who came to church in 2000 still come to church 22 years later. So even though we have some really big large mega churches, we don't see church attendance growing in America. We actually see it declining by more than half. A small church is typically between about 25 to 200 people, but 60% of all the churchgoers in America attend a church with less than 75 members. So that's more than half. So more than more than half of the Christians in America who go to church, they attend a church with less than 65 people. Now, that's, you know, more than half. That's not including people who go to smaller churches of about 150 or 200. So even though mega churches are big, the majority of Christians don't go to mega churches. And one thing that I thought it was interesting is that about 40% of Americans say they go to church every Sunday, but when they crunch the numbers of who actually is sitting in the pews, they found out that only about 20% of Americans go to church every week. So yes, there's a lot of people who go to church maybe once a month or twice a month, but how many people go every week is a real small number of Americans, and that's gone down so much. I was born in 1962, and in the 50s and 60s, people just went to church every Sunday. If you happen to not be in church, there was not much to do because everything was closed. So we're really kind of dealing with a culture shift, and it's a great opportunity for us as Christians to think about that and to make going back to church, going to church every week, a priority again in our life. It says something. It says something to our children. It says something to other Christians. 
it says something to the people in our nation that that's the priority of our life. We can say that God is number one, but we demonstrate that by gathering with his people every Sunday. So that's just a little plug for going to church. But what I want to talk about specifically is why are small churches such a blessing to homeschoolers? Because over the years, I used to feel, oh, wow, our church is so small. I feel like we're not giving these homeschool families all the benefits they could have if they went to a bigger church. And I used to really be sad about that. And then the Lord just kind of opened my eyes and I saw how much more homeschooling families tended to thrive in a small church. Now, that doesn't mean they can't thrive in a big church and that homeschooling families can't really thrive in a big church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that homeschool families can really thrive in a small church and it can be such a blessing for them. So let me walk you through the five reasons that small churches can benefit homeschool families. First of all, When homeschool families gravitate to large churches, sometimes they feel a little lost and have trouble building relationships. And part of that has to do with the fact that we're raising our children differently. And when you are at a, at a large church, most of the people, most of the Christian children and teenagers at a large church go to public schools. So they're, they're mixing with kids that have some different values and are exposed to different things than our children are exposed to. Um, Not that they're, you know, our children are better at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they're exposed to different things. And sometimes our children end up coming home saying blah, blah, blah. And that can happen in a small church too. But one of the things that's really significant is that lives are are changed in the context of relationships. So in a small church, it is easier to have true fellowship. In a small church, you know your pastor. You most likely have them over for dinner in your house or go to dinner at their house. There's a relationship there with your elders and your deacons. And when you're not at church, when you're sick, when you are recovering from surgery, people are a lot more likely to know that something is wrong, to know that you need some help, maybe a meal, or you need someone to come over and help with the kids. So that's more likely to happen in a small church. And one thing I notice about large churches that keep that family feeling is that they have life groups. So I encourage you, if you're part of a big church, plug into a life group because the life group is really that small church kind of connection. See, a small church is a visible picture of what it talks about in the Bible about us being a family. And that's what we are. We're the family. We're the family of God. We belong to him. We belong to one another. And we're living life out together. And in a small church, it's easier to build relationships because you see those same people. You have small talk with those same people week after week after week. And it becomes easier to say, hey, we're going out to Pizza Hut after church for lunch. Would you like to come? Well, sure, we'd love to. And so that becomes a way that you can bond with people 
and you're more likely to ask for prayer. You're more likely to express a response when the pastor calls for an altar call. If you feel, I really should go up there, you're more likely to go because you feel safe. It tends to be more of a safe feeling in a small church. Though large churches, I'm not saying they're not safe at all. Please, I'm not saying anything at all against large churches because I think they're wonderful. I just was thinking that since America is filled with small churches and Christians in America Most of them are going to small churches, which might be you, or maybe you were going to a small church before COVID, but you've stopped going. I want to encourage you that that small church is a good choice. So one is relationships. Number two is age integration. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Piaget, a Swiss um philosopher was the one who advocated age segregation. That was, let's get kids out of the one-room schoolhouse and let's divide them up by their age and let them learn by their age in groups with other ages rather than in a mixed group. In our family, we have age integration with our children. So we're teaching older children and younger children, and sometimes the older children help the younger children. And that's what happened in one-room schoolhouses. But Piaget was he did not like that. He wanted to divide up the the kids by ages. So we have tended to put that into practice, not just in schools, but because now children are raised in schools where they're segregated by age. We tend to do it in church. We tend to do it in different areas of community life. And so it's it's nothing for a family to arrive at church and say a family of seven people, and they all go off in different directions. Maybe mom and dad stay together for the church service, but they're in different Sunday school classes. And, you know, Bob goes to the teen class, and Mary goes to the preteen class, and um, the little ones go to their respective nurseries and Sunday school places, and then to children's church. And so they, they've they spent maybe three hours at church, but they haven't been together. So when you're in a small church, they will have nursery, they will have Sunday school, but they're more likely, those ages are more likely kind of mixed up together. And you have got, you've got people interacting with each other of different ages. You've got a congregation, if there's a Sunday school class, you're going to find a lot of different ages in it. If during the sermon you've got, you might be sitting with someone who's 20 years older than you and someone who's 10 years younger. It just is natural, like a family. If you're at your family reunion, you're going to mingle more with different ages. And that is the same at a small church. You're going to meet people of different ages. And what I have observed, now I have not done a scientific study But what I have observed is that people who interact with people who are in the exact same season of life that they are, same, you know, they're married with kids, maybe a mom is married with kids and all her friends are married with kids, or maybe, you know, Bob is a teenager and all his friends are teenagers, they tend to be more self-centered because everyone around them is experiencing the same kind of things that they are and those things get magnified as if they are more important than any other thing. When you're interacting with people of different ages and seasons, say 
I have a close friend who's my age, <clears throat> but she's in a completely different season of her life. So she's single. I'm married. And then I have another friend who's married and she has little children and she's maybe 10 years younger than me, but I have grown children. So when I have a circle of friends that are different than me, I tend to be less self-centered and more other-centered because I'm realizing, wow, this isn't right now that I'm in is a little challenging, but that season's challenging too. And I remember when I was in that season and I, I, I'm filled with compassion and I want to help other people. Or maybe it's someone who's older and I'm realizing, you know, that's going to be me in 20 to 30 years. And what can I do to make her life a joy, to make her life pleasant? So those are just things that happen when you mix with other ages. And I especially see it in children. I remember looking at my youngest children and thinking, wow, they've never had the experience of, you know, helping their teach the little ones how to read or babysitting the younger brother or sister. They've always been the babies. And so they've never had that nurturing responsibility to take care of younger siblings. So I was intentional in inviting people over to our house that had younger ones so that my children would develop a nurturing heart toward those younger children. And it worked. And it's such a blessing to see all ages interact because the older ones can be godly heroes to the younger ones, and they can also help the younger ones. And the younger ones can learn good behavior from the older role models. So it's just such a blessing when you mix the ages up. And I know we we have gone from being a segregated culture <clears throat> to now by race, but now it seems like we're segregated by age. So break out of that mold, and a small church is the perfect place to do that. One of the things I love about a small church is the opportunities to serve, and that is the one thing that I have noticed over the years that has caused homeschooling children to really thrive, especially homeschooling teenagers. When you're in a small church, there's room for everyone to serve. And there are so many different opportunities. There's the same basic needs in a big church as a small church. And by big, I mean like 500 to maybe 20,000. You know, there's those same needs. You need someone in the Sunday school. You need someone helping in the nursery. You need people greeting. You need people ushering. You need a PowerPoint person or, you know, whatever fancy thing they use for the slides. You need um, someone to do sound. You need a worship team and you need ushers. And so those are just kind of basic things. Whether you're big or small, all of those needs are going to be there. When you are in a small church, people really need you to help. And so pretty much you'll find someone saying, hey, would you mind greeting once a month or once every other month? And you think, well, I think I could do that. In fact, I think that would be a great ministry for my family. So 
Every other month, the first Sunday, you and your family arrive 30 minutes early and you guys spread out and you greet people. And it's great for the kids because they're learning some soft skills, some life skills about how to interact with other people. And they're really doing well. And you're seeing them not only grow in being polite and being friendly, but you're seeing them grow in really caring about other people and being excited when they see people arrive. Maybe your family ends up getting involved in the nursery and you and your daughter and your husband um, and your son divide up and you each help out with the Sunday school room and your child helps you. And they're learning and growing in the whole area of child development, in the whole area of helping younger children, of teaching the word. There's also so much opportunity for actually teaching the Bible, actually leading a Bible study. Sometimes, you know, in a large church, it has to be just a few people that rise to the top who are able to do certain leadership positions. But in a small church, there's more opportunity for people to help you so that you can see those giftings inside cultivated and developed. And that brings me to another thing about a small church. A lot of times there's a lot of room for mentoring, both natural and specified like the pastor may say okay if you want to mentor someone sign up here and then someone else signs up and so I end up mentoring Carol who is 16 yeah that can definitely happen in a small church but what happens all the time is just mentoring that comes in a natural way like my friend May decided she wanted to learn to knit And there's an older woman in the church who knows how to knit. So she called her and said, hey, is there any way that you could um, come over before church on Wednesday evenings? I'll feed you dinner if you'll teach me how to knit. So Leanne starts coming over and they spend an hour together knitting and, and May feeds her dinner. And so it's this beautiful intergenerational relationship because May's in her 20s. But more than that, In the process of them being together and Leanne teaching her to knit, she's also telling her her about her life. She's telling her about good decisions she's made and bad decisions she's made. And she's sharing her testimony and how she's grown in the Lord. And none of that is planned. It just happens. But that relationship was so natural and easy because it's a small church and everybody knows everyone. And everyone feels comfortable with everyone. So the other thing that happens in a small church is you become aware of needs. You know, the pastor might say, okay, Sister Sally broke her leg. And so we need someone who can teach Sunday school for her for the next month. And so the kids look at you and you look at them and you think, yeah, I think I could help out for a month. And so, or maybe the pastor says, we need help with cleaning. Does anybody want to clean? I'm I'm asking that people would sign up for one week every three months. And so the family looks at each other and they say, I think that we could do that. And so they end up serving and meeting needs. 
And what it does is it cultivates something in your child's heart of having a servant heart, having an antenna to say, oh, there's a need over here. I wonder if God could use me to meet it. And it really develops godly character. And that is probably the biggest thing that I have noticed about homeschooling kids who grow up in a small church and they grow up serving and their parents are serving and they they come together with this idea of coming to give rather than coming to take or receive. I mean, we all receive from the Lord when we go to church. We all receive from the sermon. We all are blessed by the worship. But when you come to give rather than receive, you're really falling in with God's plan because that's what he talks about. He talks about when you come, bring, bring a word, bring a song. And so the attitude that we're supposed to come to church with is to give. And you know what he also says, Jesus says, that Give, and it will be given to you. And he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So people who give and serve usually are experiencing the most joy and the most refreshment. Because think about the Dead Sea. All this wonderful water flows in, flows in, flows in. But there's no exit. There's no way for all that water to get out and so it just kind of sits there and the minerals accumulate and the salts and pretty soon it's just dead and nothing can grow in it that's what happens with christians when we receive 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 and don't give we become like the dead sea and so small churches it's a little bit harder to be like the dead sea it's much easier to be receiving and it flows out receiving and it flows out Another reason small churches are such a blessing is because of two things, internships and electives. And these naturally flow out of the opportunities to serve. So, for example, you develop a relationship with your pastor and your youngest son. He's the only one left at home. He is 14. He's in high school. He and the pastor really get along. And first thing you know, um, the, he goes to the pastor and says, I was wondering if you would disciple me, if you would teach me from the Bible and help me to grow in the Lord. So they begin to do that. In the process, he ends up, you know, going places with the pastor, meeting people. Sometimes he goes on hospital visitation. And it begins to cultivate in him a heart for ministry. So he says to you, I wonder if, you know, God would have me be a pastor. And so you talk to the pastor and say, what's the possibility of him doing an internship with you or an elective class with you where he just comes in one or two mornings a week and he just serves you, pastor. If you need a cup of coffee, get you a cup of coffee. If you need him to send emails or work on the website or make some phone calls. He does that for you. If you run errands, he goes with you. If you do hospital visitation, he goes. And so your son now is having an internship, a pastoral internship. And it all was born out of this relationship that flourishes, tends to flourish in a small church. And so you end up 
Um, and he gets to see what life is like because, you know, in a large church, everything is divided up. And this pastor does this and this pastor does this. But in a small church, the, pa- the pastor usually wears all the hats. And so he gets an ex- to experience all kinds of ministry. So that is just one example of an internship. And another kind of internship could be that you, there's a church secretary or a, or an administrator and one of your children does an internship where one morning a week they go to the church office and they help. They might copy the bulletin and fold it and get it ready for church. They might, um, internship with whoever does the custodial work or the cleaning and learn about, you know, all that goes on in the behind the scenes of a church. That is such a perfect opportunity, but there's more. My son was on the sound team, so he ended up with an internship of sound. He learned how sound worked, how it traveled. He learned to manage the stage. He learned to mix from the booth, and he learned so much about sound, and he did it. He put so many hours in it just serving as a ministry, but when we totaled up all the hours, it was a full two credit. So he got sound technology one and sound technology two on his transcript. And that looked great as he was wanting to be an electrical engineer. So there's so many things that can happen when you do that. For example, child development. Your daughter just has this love of babies. And so she keeps saying, can I help in the nursery? Can I help in the nursery? And you say, okay, but not more than once a month or not more than twice a month. But she's soon logging so many hours with caring for young children. And so you think, hmm, this could be an internship or this could be an elective. I'm going to give her a couple books on child development. And with those books and all the hours she's putting in with children, and maybe she and I can have a few discussions, there's an elective. And so there you have, again, serving leading to an elective. The same could be with the Bible class. You might have a pastor who offers, I know my husband has offered some, you know, really amazing Sunday school classes. And they actually didn't meet on Sunday morning. They actually met on Tuesday nights. But many homeschooled kids took those classes. And maybe they took four classes that were each nine weeks long. And that ended up giving them a Bible credit. So there's just a lot that can happen. Now, of course, that can happen at a big church, too. Um, But I'm just, again, keep your eyes open for these opportunities that come naturally to your child to serve. And finally, one of the greatest things that I've seen in homeschooling families who are involved in small churches is that they end up having skills, life skills, that they would never have had had they not grown up like that. I remember Laura's husband, Laura's kind of behind the scenes for the most part. She's sometimes on the shows, but she edits the shows and puts them up. But Laura's husband, when we were younger and our children were all little, her husband was our sound guy. And Laura played the flute and then later the bass on the worship team. Well, both of our families would arrive and her family would arrive 
And Donald and her three sons would be lugging stuff in. They would be lugging sound equipment, lugging, lugging instruments. And they learned all about serving. They learned all about sound. They learned all about how to interact with people and how to help people. And they just cultivated so many life skills by being so involved. Another thing that we did every year is we used to have an Easter service in the park. And every Easter we would have this big service and it meant going to the storage unit, getting out chairs, getting out sound equipment, getting out instruments, set, setting up tables. We had to map out where everything would go. So by the time some of these young guys in our church were teenagers, they had helped from, for several years setting up. And they had their own ideas about where things should go, where the worship team should be, where the pastor should preach from, where they should set up the sound tent instead of a sound booth. And they, they, all these things were cultivated in them in a natural way. So again, wherever you go, a small church in a, or a big church, I just encourage you, be faithful. Go to church every Sunday and be a blessing to everyone around you. But if you're in a small church, don't feel like you are missing out. You have so many opportunities to build relationships, to serve in so many ways that there would never be those same opportunities in a big church. So take advantage of them and remember, a small church is surely a blessing for homeschool families. And you homeschool families are such a blessing for a small church. God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.